0: Chapter twenty four of Queechee by Susan Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Arlene Stebbins. Chapter twenty four. A breath of the world at Queechee. My lord Sebastian, the truth you speak doth lack some gentleness, and time to speak it in. You rub the sore when you should bring the plaster. Tempest. The Evelyns spent several weeks at the pool and both mother and daughters, conceiving a great affection for Fleda, kept her in their company as much as possible. For those weeks Fleda had enough of gaiety. She was constantly spending the day with them at the pool, or going on some party of pleasure, or taking quiet, sensible walks and rides with them, along or with only one or two of the most rational and agreeable people that the place could command. And even Mrs. Rossiter was persuaded more times than one to put herself in her plainest remaining French silk, and entertain the whole party, with the addition of one or two of Charlton's friends, at her Queechy farmhouse. Fleda enjoyed it all with the quick spring of a mind habitually bent to the patient fulfillment of duty, and habitually under the pressure of rather sobering thoughts. It was a needed and very useful refreshment. Charlton's being at home gave her the full good of the opportunity more than would have else been possible. He was her constant attendant driving her to and from the pool, and finding as much call to him there as she had. For besides the Evelyns, his friend Thorn abode there all his time. The only drawback to Fletta's pleasure as she drove off from Queechy would be the leaving Hugh plodding away at his sawmill. She used to nod and wave to him as they went by, and almost feel that she ought not to go on and enjoy herself while he was tending that wearisome machinery all day long. Still she went on and enjoyed herself, but the mere thought of his patient smile as she passed would have kept her from too much elation of spirits, if there had been any danger. There never was any. "'That's a lovely little cousin of yours,' said Thorn one evening, when he and Rossiter on horseback were leisurely making their way along up and down the road between Montepool and Queechy. "'She's not particularly little,' said Rossiter, with a dryness that somehow lacked any savour of gratification.' She is of a most fair stature, said Thorn. I did not mean anything against that. But there are characters to which one gives instinctively a softening appellative. Are there? said Charlton. Yes, she is a lovely little creature. She is not to compare to one of those girls we have left behind us at Montpool," said Charlton. Um, well, perhaps you are right, but which girl do you mean, for I profess I don't know?' the second of Mrs. Evelyn's daughters, the auburn-haired one. "'Miss Constance, eh?' said Thorne. "'In what isn't the other one to be compared to her?' "'In anything. Nobody would ever think of looking at her in the same room.' "'Why not?' said Thorne coolly. "'I don't know why not,' said Charlton, "'except that she has not a tithe of her beauty. That's a superb girl.' For a matter of twenty yards Mr. Thorne went softly humming a tune to himself, and leisurely switching the flies off his horse. "'Well,' said he, "'there's no accounting for tastes. I ask no red and white to make up my delight, no odd becoming graces, black eyes or little know-not-what in faces.' "'What do you want, then?' said Charlton, half laughing with him, though his friend was perfectly grave. "'A cool eye, and a mind in it. "'A cool eye,' said Rossiter. "'Yes, those we have left behind us are, errant, will-o'-the-wisps, dancing fires. No more.' "'I can tell you there is fire sometimes in the other eyes,' said Charlton. "'Very likely,' said his friend composedly. "'I could have guessed as much. But that is a fire you may warm yourself at. No eternal phosphorescence. It is the leaping up of an internal fire. That only shows itself upon occasion.' "'I suppose you know what you are talking about,' said Charlton, "'but I can't follow you into the region of volcanoes. Constance Evelyn has superb eyes. It is uncommon to see a light blue so brilliant.' "'I would rather trust a sick head to the handling of the lovely lady than the superb one, at a venture.' "'I thought you never had a sick head,' said Charlton. "'That is lucky for me, as the hands do not happen to be at my service.' but no imagination could put Miss Constance in Desdemona's place when Othello complained of his headache. You remember, Charlton. Faith, that's with watching. Twill away again. Let me but bind this handkerchief about it hard. Thorn gave the intonation truly and admirably. Fleda never said anything so soft as that, said Charlton. No? No. You speak well, but soft. Do you know what you are talking about there? Uh, "'Not very well,' said Charlton. "'I only remember there was nothing soft about Othello. "'What you quoted of his wife just now "'seemed to me to smack of that quality.' "'I forgive your memory,' said Thorne, "'or else I certainly would not forgive you. "'If there is a fair creation in all Shakespeare, "'it is Desdemona. "'And if there is a pretty combination on earth "'that nearly matches it, I believe it is that one.' "'What one?' "'Your pretty cousin.' Charlton was silent. It is generous in me to undertake her defence, Thorn went on, for she bestows as little of her fair countenance upon me as she can well help. But, try as she will, she cannot be so repellent as she is attractive. Charlton pushed his horse into a brisker pace not favourable to conversation, and they rode forward in silence, till in descending the hill below deep water they came within view of Hugh's work-place, and saw the mill. Charlton suddenly drew bridle. There she is! "'And who is with her?' said Thorn. "'As I live, our friend, what's his name, who has lost all his ancestors? "'And who is the other?' "'My brother,' said Charlton. "'I don't mean your brother, Captain Rossiter,' said Thorn, throwing himself off his horse. He joined the party who were just leaving the mill to go down towards the house. Very much at his leisure Charlton dismounted and came after him. "'I have brought Charlton safely home, Miss Ringgan," said Thorn, who, leading his horse, had quietly secured a position at her side. "'What's the matter?' said Fleda, laughing. "'Couldn't he bring himself home?' "'I don't know what's the matter, but he's been uncommonly dumpish. We've been as near as possible to quarrelling for half a dozen miles back.' "'We have been, ah, uh, more agreeably employed,' said Dr. Quackenboss, looking round at him with a face that was a concentration of affability. "'I make no doubt of it, sir. I trust we shall bring no unharmonious interruption. "'If I may change somebody else's words,' he added more low to Fleta, "'disdain itself must convert to courtesy in your presence.' "'I am sorry disdain should live to pay me a compliment,' said Fleta. "'Mr. Thorne, may I introduce you to Mr. Olmney?' Mr. Thorne honoured the introduction with perfect civility, but then fell back to his former position and slightly lowered tone. Are you, then, a sworn foe to compliments? I was never so fiercely attacked by them as to give me any occasion. I should be very sorry to furnish the occasion. But what's the harm in them, Miss Ringan? Chiefly a want of agreeableness. Of agreeableness? Pardon me! I hope you will be so good as to give me the rationale of that. I am of Miss Edgeworth's opinion, sir, said Fleta, blushing, that a lady may always judge of the estimation in which she is held by the conversation which is addressed to her. And you judge compliments to be a doubtful indication of esteem? I am sure you do not need information on that point, sir. "'As to your opinion, or the matter of fact,' said he, somewhat keenly. "'As to the matter of fact,' said Fleda, with a glance both simple and acute in its expression. "'I will not venture to say a word,' said Thorn, smiling. "'Protestations would certainly fall flat at the gates where les douces paroles cannot enter. But—' "'Do you know this is picking a man's pocket of all his silver pennies "'and obliging him to produce the gold?' "'That would be a hard measure upon a good many people,' said Fleda, laughing. "'But they are not driven to that. "'There's plenty of small change left.' "'You certainly do not deal in the coin you condemn,' said Thorn, bowing. "'But you will remember that none call for gold but those who can exchange it, "'and the number of them is few. "'In a world where cowrie passes current,' "'a man may be excused for not throwing about his guineas.' "'I wish you'd throw about a few for our entertainment,' said Charlton, who was close behind. "'I haven't seen a yellow boy in a good while.' "'A proof that your eyes are not jaundiced,' said his friend without turning his head. "'Whatever may be the case with you otherwise. "'Is he out of humour with the country life you like so well, Miss Ringen? "'Or has he left his domestic tastes in Mexico? "'How do you think he likes screechy? "'You might as well ask myself.' "'said Charlton. "'How do you think he likes screechy, Miss Ringan?' "'I am afraid something after the fashion of touchstone,' said Flada, laughing. "'He thinks that in respect of itself it's a good life, "'but in respect that it is a shepherd's life it is not. "'In respect that it is solitary he likes it very well, "'but in respect that it is private it is a very vile life. "'Now in respect it is in the fields it pleaseth him well, "'but in respect it is not in the court it is tedious.' "'There's a guinea for you, Captain Rossiter,' said his friend. "'Do you know out of what mint?' "'It doesn't bear the head of Socrates,' said Charlton. "'Hast no philosophy in thee, Charlton?' said Flada, laughing back at him. "'Hast not Queechy uh, the honour of your approbation, Captain Rossiter?' said the doctor. "'Certainly, sir, I have no doubt of its being a very fine country.' "'Only he has imbibed some doubts whether happiness be an indigenous crop,' said Thorne. "'Undoubtedly,' said the doctor blandly, "'to one who has roamed over the plains of Mexico, "'Creechy must seem rather, a uh, rather flat place.' "'If he could lose sight of the hills,' said Thorne. "'Undoubtedly, sir, undoubtedly,' said the doctor. "'They are a marked feature in the landscape, "'and do much to relieve, uh, the charge of sameness.' "'Luckily,' said Mr. Olmney, smiling, "'happiness is not a thing of circumstance. "'It depends on a man's self.' "'I used to think so,' said Thorn. "'That is what I have always subscribed to. "'But I am afraid I could not live in this region and find it so long.' "'What an evening!' said Fleta. "'Queechy is doing its best to deserve our regards under this light. "'Mr. Omney, did you ever notice the beautiful curve of the hills in that hollow where the sun sets?' "'I do notice it now,' he said.' It is exquisite," said the doctor. "Captain Rossitur, do you observe, sir, in that hollow where the sun sets?" Captain Rossitur's eye made a very speedy transition from the hills to Fleda, who had fallen back a little to take Hugh's arm, and placing herself between him and Mister Olmney, was giving her attention undividedly to the latter. And to him she talked perseveringly of the mountains, the country, and the people till they reached the courtyard gate. Mister Olmney then passed on. So did the doctor, though invited to tarry averring that the sun had gone down behind the firmament, and he had something to attend to at home. "'You will come in, Thorn,' said Charlton. "'Why, I had intended returning, but as the sun has gone down indeed—and as our friend says there is no chance of our seeing him again, I may as well go in and take what comfort is to be had in the circumstances. Gentle Euphrosyne, doth it not become the graces to laugh?' "'They always ask leave, sir,' said Fleda, hesitating. "'A most graceful answer, though it does not smile upon me,' said Thorn. "'I am sorry, sir,' said Fleda, smiling now, "'that you have so many silver pennies to dispose of. "'We shall never get at the gold.' "'I will do my very best,' said he. So he did, and made himself agreeable that evening to every one of the circle. Though Fleda's sole reason for liking to see him come in had been that she was glad of everything that served to keep Charlton's attention from home subjects— she saw sometimes the threatening of a cloud that troubled her. But the Evelyns and Thorn, and everybody else whom they knew, left the pool at last, before Charlton, who was sufficiently well again, had near run out his furlough. And then the cloud, which had only showed itself by turns during all those weeks, gathered and settled determinately upon his brow. He had long ago supplied the want of a newspaper— "'One evening in September the family were sitting in the room where they had had tea "'for the benefit of the fire, when Barbie pushed open the kitchen door and came in. "'Fleda, will you let me have one of the last papers? "'I have a notion to look at it.' "'Fleda rose and went to rummaging in the cupboards. "'You can have it again in a little while,' said Barbie, considerately. "'The paper was found, and Miss Elster went out with it. "'What an unendurable piece of ill manners that woman is,' said Charlton. "'She has no idea of being ill-mannered, I assure you,' said Fleda. His voice was like a brewing storm. Hers was so clear and soft that it made a lull in spite of him. But he began again. "'There is no necessity for submitting to impertinence. I never would do it.' "'I have no doubt you never will,' said his father, "'unless you can't help yourself.' "'Is there any good reason, sir, "'why you should not have proper servants in the house?' "'A very good reason,' said Mr. Rossiter.' "'Fleda would be in despair.' "'Is there none beside that?' said Charlton dryly. "'None, except a trifling one,' Mr. Rossiter answered in the same tone. "'We cannot afford it, dear Charlton,' said his mother softly. There was a silence during which Fleda moralized on the ways people take to make themselves uncomfortable. "'Does that man, to whom you let the farm, does he do his duty? "'I am not the keeper of his conscience.' "'I am afraid it would be a small charge to any one,' said Fleta. "'But are you the keeper of the gains you ought to have from him? Does he deal fairly by you? "'May I ask first what interest it is of yours?' "'It is my interest, sir, because I come home and find the family living upon the exertions of Hugh and Fletta, and find them growing thin and pale under it. "'You, at least, are free from all pains of that kind, Captain Rossiter?' "'Don't listen to him, Uncle Rolf,' said Fleda, going round to her uncle and making as she passed a most warning impression upon Charlton's arm. "'Don't mind what he says. That young gentleman has been among the Mexican ladies till he has lost an eye for a really proper complexion. "'Look at me! Do I look pale and thin! I was paid a most brilliant compliment the other day upon my roses. "'Uncle, don't listen to him. He hasn't been in a decent humour since the Evelyns went away.' She knelt down before him and laid her hands upon his, and looked up in his face to bring all her plea—the plea of most winning sweetness of entreaty in features yet flushed and trembling. His own did not unbend as he gazed at her, but he gave her a silent answer in a pressure of the hands that went straight from his heart to hers. Fleda's eye turned toward Charlton appealingly. "'Is it necessary?' he repeated. "'that that child and this boy should spend their days in labour to keep the family alive?' "'If it were,' replied Mr. Rossiter, "'I am very willing that their exertions should cease. "'For my own part I would quite as lief be out of the world as in it.' "'Charlton, how can you?' said Fleda half beside herself. "'You should know of what you speak, or be silent. "'Uncle, don't mind him. He's talking wildly. My work does me good.' "'You do not understand yourself,' said Charlton obstinately. "'It is more than you ought to do, and I know my mother thinks so, too.' "'Well,' said Mr. Rossiter, "'it seems there is an agreement in my own family to bring me to the bar. "'Get up, Fleta, let us hear all the charges to be brought against me, "'at once, and then pass sentence.' "'What have your mother and you agreed upon, Charlton? Go on.' Mrs. Rossiter, now beyond speech, left the room, weeping even aloud. Hugh followed her. Fleda wrestled with her agitation for a minute or two, and then got up and put both arms round her uncle's neck. "'Don't talk so, dear Uncle Rolf. You make us very unhappy. Aunt Lucy did not mean any such thing. It is only Charlton's nonsense. Do go and tell her you don't think so. You have broken her heart by what you said. Do go, Uncle Rolf. Do go and make her happy again. Forget it all.' Charlton did not know what he was saying. "'Won't you go, dear Uncle Rolf?' The words were spoken between bursts of tears that utterly overcame her, though they did not hinder the utmost caressingness of manner. It seemed at first spent upon a rock. Mr. Rossiter stood like a man that did not care what happened or what became of him, dumb and unrelenting, suffering her sweet words and imploring tears with no attempt to answer the one or stay the other. But he could not hold out against her beseeching. He was no match for it, He returned at last heartily the pressure of her arms, and, unable to give her any other answer, kissed her two or three times, such kisses as are charged with the heart's whole message, and, disengaging himself, left the room. For a minute or two after he was gone, Fleda cried excessively, and Charlton, now alone with her, felt as if he had not a particle of self-respect left to stand upon. One such agony would do her more harm than whole weeks of labour and weariness, he was too vexed and ashamed of himself to be able to utter a word, but when she recovered a little and was leaving the room he stood still by the door in an attitude that seemed to ask her to speak a word to him. "'I am sure, Charlton,' she said gently, "'you will be sorry to-morrow for what you have done.' "'I am sorry now,' he said. But she passed out without saying anything more. Captain Rossiter spent the night in unmitigated vexation with himself but his repentance could not have been very genuine, since his most painful thought was what Fleda must think of him. He was somewhat reassured at breakfast to find no traces of the evening's storm. Indeed, the moral atmosphere seemed rather clearer and purer than common. His own face was the only one which had an unusual shade upon it. There was no difference in anybody's manner towards himself, and there was even a particularly gentle and kind pleasantness about Fleda, intended, he knew, to soothe and put to rest any movings of self-reproach he might feel. It somehow missed of its aim and made him feel worse, and after on his part a very silent meal he quitted the house and took himself and his discontent to the woods. Whatever effect they had upon him, it was the middle of the morning before he came back again. He found Fleda alone in the breakfast-room sewing, and for the first time noticed the look his mother had spoken of, a look not of sadness, but rather of settled patient gravity, the more painful to see because it could only have been wrought by long-acting causes, and might be as slow to do away as it must have been to bring. Charlton's displeasure with the existing state of things had revived as his remorse died away, and that quiet face did not have a quieting effect upon him. "'What on earth is going on?' he began rather abruptly as soon as he entered the room. "'What horrible cookery is on foot?' "'I venture to recommend that you do not inquire,' said Fleda. "'It was set on foot in the kitchen, and it has walked in here. "'If you open the window, it will walk out. "'But you will be cold. "'Never mind. "'In that case I will walk out, too, into the kitchen. "'Into the thick of it? "'No, I will try some other way of relief. "'This is unendurable.' Fleda looked, but made no other remonstrance, and, not heeding the look, Mr. Charlton walked out into the kitchen, shutting the door behind him. "Barby," said he, "'you have got something cooking here that is very disagreeable in the other room.' "'Is it?' said Barbie. "'I reckoned it would all fly up the chimney. I guess the draught ain't so strong as I thought it was.' "'But I tell you it fills the house.' "'Well, it'll have to a spell yet,' said Barbie. 'Cause if it didn't, you see, Captain Rossiter, there'd be nothing to fill Fleda's chickens with. Chickens? Where's all the corn in the land? It's some place besides our barn," said Barbie. "All last year's is out, and Mister Diedenhofer hadn't fetched any of this year's home. So I made a bargain with them that they shouldn't starve as long as they'd eat boiled parsley. What do you give them? Most everything. They ain't particular nowadays. Chunks of cabbage and scarcity and pumpkin and all that. All the sass that ain't wanted. "'And do they eat that?' "'Eat it,' said Barbie. "'They don't know how to thank me for it.' "'But it ought to be done out of doors,' said Charlton, coming back from a kind of maze in which he had been listening to her. "'It is unendurable.' "'Then I guess you'll have to go some place where you won't know it,' said Barbie. "'That's the most likely plan I can hit upon, for it'll have to stay on till it's ready.' Charlton went back to the other room, really downhearted, and stood watching the play of Fleda's Fingers.' Is it come to this, he said at length, is it possible that you are obliged to go without such a trifle as the miserable supply of food your fowls want? That's a small matter, said Fleda, speaking lightly, though she smothered a sigh. We have been obliged to do without more than that. What is the reason? Why, this man offer is a rogue, I suspect, and he manages to spirit away all the profits that should come to Uncle Rolf's hands. I don't know how. "'We have lived almost entirely upon the mill for some time.' "'And has my father been doing nothing all this while?' "'Nothing on the farm. "'And what of anything else?' "'I don't know,' said Fleda, speaking with evident unwillingness. "'But surely, Charlton, he knows his own business best. "'It is not our affair.' "'He is mad!' said Charlton, violently striding up and down the floor. "'No,' said Fleda, with equal gentleness and sadness. "'He is only unhappy.' "'I understand it all. "'He has had no spirit to take hold of anything ever since we came here.' "'Spirit!' said Charlton. "'He ought to have worked off his fingers to their joints "'before he let you do as you have been doing.' "'Don't say so,' said Fleda, looking even pale in her eagerness. "'Don't think so, Charlton. "'It isn't right. "'We cannot tell what he may have had to trouble him. "'I know he has suffered and does suffer a great deal. "'Do not speak again about anything as you did last night.' "'Oh!' said Fleda, now shedding bitter tears, "'this is the worst of growing poor. "'The difficulty of keeping up the old kindness and sympathy "'and care for each other.' "'I am sure it does not work so upon you,' said Charlton in an altered voice. "'Promise me, dear Charlton,' said Fleda, "'looking up after a moment and drying her eyes again, "'promise me you will not say any more about these things. "'I am sure it pains Uncle Rolf more than you think.' Say you will not, for your mother's sake. I will not, Fleta, for your sake. I would not give you any more trouble to bear. Promise me that you will be more careful of yourself in future. Oh, there is no danger about me,' said Fleda with a faint smile, and taking up her work again. "'Who are you making shirts for?' said Charlton, after a pause. "'Hugh. You do everything for Hugh, don't you? Little enough. Not half so much as he does for me.' "'Is he up at the mill to "'He is always there,' said Fleda, sighing. There was another silence. "'Charlton,' said Fleda, looking up with a face of the loveliest insinuation, "'isn't there something you might do to help us a little?' "'I will help you garden, Fleda, with pleasure.' "'I would rather you should help somebody else,' said she, still looking at him. "'What, Hugh?' "'you would have me go and work at the mill for him, I suppose?' "'Don't be angry with me, Charlton, for suggesting it,' said Fleda, looking down again. "'Angry?' said he. "'But is that what you would have me do?' "'Not unless you like. "'I didn't know but you might take his place once in a while for a little, to give him a rest. "'And suppose some of the people from Montpool that know me should come by. "'What are you thinking of?' said he in a tone that certainly justified Fleda's deprecation. "'Well,' said Fleda in a kind of choked voice, "'there is a strange rule of honour in vogue in the world. "'Why should I help you rather than anybody else?' "'He is killing himself,' said Fleda, letting her work fall and hardly speaking the words through thick tears. Her head was down and they came fast. Charlton stood abashed for a minute. "'You shan't do so, Fleda." said he gently, endeavouring to raise her. You have tired yourself with this miserable work. Come to the window. You have got low-spirited, but I am sure without reason about you. But you shall set me about what you will. You are right, I dare say, and I am wrong. But don't make me think myself a brute, and I will do anything you please. He had raised her up and made her lean upon him. Fleta wiped her eyes and tried to smile. I will do anything that will please you, Fleta. "'It is not to please me,' she answered meekly. "'I would not have spoken a word last night "'if I had known it would have grieved you so.' "'I am sorry you should have none but so poor a reason for doing right,' "'said Fleda gently. "'Upon my word I think you are about as good a reason as anybody need have,' "'said Charlton.' "'She put her hand upon his arm and looked up. "'Such a look of pure rebuke as carried to his mind "'the full force of the words she did not speak.' Who art thou that carest for a worm which shall die, and forgettest the Lord thy maker? Charlton's eyes fell. Fleta turned gently away and began to mend the fire. He stood watching her for a little. "'What do you think of me, Fleta?' he said at length. "'A little wrong-headed,' answered Fleda, giving him a glance and a smile. "'I don't think you are very bad.' "'If you will go with me, Fleda, you shall make me what you please of me.' He spoke half in jest, half in earnest, and did not himself know at the moment which way he wished Fleda to take it. But she had no notion of any depth in his words. "'A hopeless task,' she answered lightly, shaking her head as she got down on her knees to blow the fire. "'I am afraid it is too much for me. I have been trying to mend you ever since you came, and I cannot see the slightest change for the better.' "'Where is the bellows?' "'said Charlton, in another tone. "'It has expired, its last breath,' said Fletta. "'In other words, it has lost its nose.' "'Well, look here,' he said, laughing and pulling her away. "'You will stand a fair chance of losing your face if you put it in the fire. "'You shan't do it. "'Come and show me where to find the scattered parts of that old wind-instrument, "'and I will see if it cannot be persuaded to play again.'" End of chapter 24